So we're here in the Minneapolis office of the Campaign to Save the Boundary Waters. It's tucked in the corner of a, an office building in Northeast Minneapolis. And we're in our conference room. And thanks so much, Matthew, for coming down to the cities to chat with us. We've been kind of uh, running around a bit. We appreciate you coming down. That's really a contrast to be here in the middle of Minneapolis, uh, in the city, you know, talking about a place that is so far away or feels so far away here to me. But I realize that probably most of the people who are listening to all these conversations live all around me right now, right here in this place. As a matter of fact, I used to live like two blocks from here for about five years. So it's really cool for me to like connect the dots from the wilderness edge we've been hanging out in back here to the the city environment. And it has been really mind-blowing. All the conversations, all the people, all the experiences that I got to have made this all so real and so personal and so intimate. And just as much as Minneapolis was and still is a community of mine, the wilderness feels even more like an interconnected place because of all these experiences. Yeah, and I think a lot of the stories that you heard illustrate that. And, you know, at the campaign, we use so much, like, data and research and information that can kind of get a little heavy and complicated. So hearing a lot of these stories from your friends and from business owners and other folks who live and work near the wilderness, it's really important for us to hear and share those out as well. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things I've realized in this process is that I was never actually skeptical as to whether the Boundary Waters needed protecting or whether this mine was actually a threat. I think it's just easy to feel disengaged without having all of these very personal experiences to connect me to this place. And I really hope that that's what people who are listening are getting out of this experience is a more personal connection to this issue and to the you know, the places that we're talking about. And I, I think that skepticism continues in a lot of ways, but I know my experience living up north has been building a much more personal relationship with the indigenous people and the indigenous communities who live in northeastern Minnesota, who live on the edge of the wilderness and who have lived there for so much longer than uh, the wilderness even existed. And their stories and even their existence is often left out of these conversations. It's left out of the narratives that we tell around places. And it would be an incredible injustice to these friends and these people to not hear their stories in this conversation. So in this episode, let's take a back seat and listen to Tad Johnson talking about his connection and his thoughts on the wilderness and see where it takes us. Yes, I'm Tad Johnson. I'm a member of the Boys Fort Band of Chippewa, which is part of the Minnesota Chippewa tribe. I'm a professor at the University of Minnesota Duluth of American Indian Studies. I direct two graduate programs there. And I also am the senior director of American Indian Tribal Nation Relations for the entire University of Minnesota system. The first thing that comes to mind is my, my brother was quite an outdoors. He died way too young, but we were he was older than I was, and I was 17, he was 20. We paddled, we're going to paddle up the 
little Indian Sioux River. And we did. We went all the way into Lac La Croix. But I remember it was pouring rain and we were under the canoe and there were a million mosquitoes around us. And I I asked him, what about this is fun for you? Uh, so I didn't get the gene that enjoyed the outdoors as much as he did. But I do think it's a, it's a pristine wilderness. And so that personally is what, what I think about. And then on a broader scope, I'm, I'm on the, the board of the Udall Foundation. So Stuart Udall was Secretary of Interior when uh, the Boundary Waters first was established in 1964. And then Mo Udall, who was a guy I worked for in the last year, in Cong- his last year in Congress, the I believe the law expanding it passed in 1978 when he was chairing the Committee on Interior and Insular Affairs. He was considered to be a great champion of both the outdoors and the uh, and Native Americans, which is why I went to work for him. And now uh, I'm on a board which commemorates the lives and fights for environmental policy and educating folks on Native American rights and educating Native Americans on best practices for running reservations. So I've got a personal feeling for the boundary waters. But my grandfather was, um, he went from boarding school into World War One and then spent his life guiding people through the boundary waters. And so I've got uh, several generations. And my grandmother was born right at the mouth of uh, Dead River on Burnside Lake. So I go back multiple generations in that, in that part of the world. And I uh, I, I wasn't raised in Ely, but my parents were dropping me off uh, starting about the age of five with my grandmother or my cousins, and I'd stayed up there every every summer from June until August. And so I feel, you know, I feel like I belong up there. Um, there's a deeper meaning there for for my family and me, and uh, now my kids. So it's a really special place, and and it's a beautiful place. And I've I've had some of the most breathtaking scenery I've ever encountered in my life is in the Boundary Waters. So, But my daughter got the same gene my brother had, which is a love of the outdoors and, and uh, loves to go on canoe trips and stuff. And I I can do it, um, but um, usually I'm, I'm along for the ride. They're usually the ones instigating it. So, But I think I've got a voice and I've got you know my own skills as a as an attorney, and I've been an advocate for something all my life, so I thought this was a good thing to lend my voice to. So as an individual, not as a Boys Fort band member or as a, a university faculty member or anything else, as an individual who happens to uh, think that that area is worth preserving. As I said, I didn't don't know if I got my gene, but my brother had it and my daughter has it, and so... For them, I, I want to help preserve it, but I also think just it makes sense from about four different ways, from the economics of it to the uh, keeping a boil forest is actually as important or more important than keeping the Brazilian rainforest as far as uh, carbon goes. And, and uh, there's a lot of reasons to keep that area wild for if we're going to save the planet. So. I think we have to think through these things better before we continue the industrial ways of the of the 19th century and the 21st century. And I I don't think the science is there yet to start building mines where we can't control the work product, so to speak, of of what gets dug up with the mines and what occurs 
with the mines as as they're being dug up. I think from all everything I've read, that will that will ruin the boundary waters for hundreds of years. So why take that risk? For Native Americans, there's spiritual reasons, but for non-Indians too, I think they feel a certain amount of spirituality when they get into the wilderness. And uh, there's a lot of writing on that for everybody from from John Muir to Sigurd Olson to other nature writers where you get this this feeling when going through the wilderness of some kind of uh, deeper sense of spirituality than you can get. For a lot of people, you can't get it in a church. You can get it, though, by by standing in a uh, or looking out over a pristine boundary waters lake or if you're standing in a tall stand of, of white pine, you get this unique feeling of uh, spirituality, I guess. Uh, so I think it's important to, to hang on to that. And there's, there's a part of us that is, you know, that wants to be in the wilderness, that whether we know it or not, I think we, we discover that when we go on a canoe trip. It's like, you know, at some point it occurs to you along the way that I'm supposed to be doing this. This is, this is what humans are supposed to be doing. It's really great to hear from Tad Johnson. Um, the sort of Anishinaabe experience and how they're connected to the Boundary Waters is really real and it's present right now. And I think it's important to acknowledge that when we say Anishinaabe, you know, that encompasses a lot of different groups and people and a lot of diversity of opinion. So um, it's important to note that Tad doesn't necessarily speak for, for all tribal interests in the state of Minnesota. Exactly. There are... Even in the Arrowhead, you know, you have the Grand Portage Band uh, on the far east on the shores of Lake Superior, and that's connected to the Boundary Waters. And the water sort of connects all these places, the um, the bands and the community, other communities like Grand Marais, Ely, Tofty. And so if we go to the opposite end of the wilderness, we go to visit Chaz, who is a member of the Boys Fort Band. And in a journey to hear a variety of perspectives, we're going to hear his story of connection to the wilderness. Children. Bonjour. Anishinaabe Doug. Dinaway Magana Doug. Ginnukijik Indigenakaz. Sabikwanezagai Gani Dunjaba. Mikizina Dudem. Miglitch. Nimeduam. Nimwen. Wayne Don, Ayana Ma. Nimin Wayne Don, Ayana Ma. Hello, I am Chaz Wagner. Golden Eagle Day is my Anishinaabe name. And I am Eagle Clan. And I'm happy to be here with you. The Boundary Water actually are a lot of the Ojibwe people resided there um, before it actually became you know the Boundary Waters canoe area so it has a lot of history to my people you know just this whole northern Minnesota already has history to my people and I ha- and I have ties to the ancestors that have lived there and it is right smack dab right in the middle of our 
our territory, our treaty territory, where we're allowed to fish, hunt, and gather there versus anywhere else in Minnesota. So in that respect, um, yeah, like my roots run into the Boundary Waters. We pray for their safe return. We can all live spiritually. We can all live in harmony with Mother Earth, and that's how it's supposed to be. You know, um, we're, we're actually entitled to clean air and clean water. But, uh, you know, and, and I think it's what you really believe makes you who you are, because we are, whether you want to believe it or not, we are spiritual beings. <laughs> and um, we're all having this physical experience together. And that makes us part of one another. The color of your skin really doesn't matter. Where you come from doesn't matter. It's really what you believe. And um, how you act. Yeah, and yeah, how you act and um, how you live your life, how you carry yourself, how you are to others. That's what really matters. Um, you know, and, and just be happy. Um, you know, and, and go up to the boundary waters um, you know, and um, experience the beauty there and experience the, the magic um, because you just don't get that anywhere else. You know, it is a really majestic and magical place. I mean, you go up there and there's drawings on the rocks because the people knew that that was a sacred place. historically been excellent stewards of the land and water in northern Minnesota and that's just another reason why it's so important that we listen and learn together as we continue to do this work. We are so glad that we connected with you on this journey Matthew and I hope that you can continue to collaborate and share more of these stories. It's so important for us to learn about why this mine could devastate the lives of so many of us who cherish the Boundary Waters. So now that you've gone through this experience what are you going to do with it? It sort of is the question right? I think now in hindsight, one of the things that really influenced my skepticism wasn't as much skepticism as just not knowing or understanding what I can do to be a part of this, uh, to be a part of this issue and to just be proactive and help. Uh, you know, I don't work for the campaign, so what am I supposed to do? And I think it it's really clear to me now that the only thing I should do is the, the thing that I love to do and the thing that I am excited to do, which is continue to hear people's stories and continue to ask critical questions and continuing to learn how other people are using their gifts and abilities and passions to protect the wilderness. I think that's what's next.
We'll be coming back for season two this winter. We'll be telling more stories and engaging with more folks on the Boundary Waters. And in the meantime, what you can do to help protect the Boundary Waters is to participate in the 90-day comment period that started today, the day we're recording. It's October 21st, 2021. And until January 19th, 2022, you can submit a comment to the federal government saying that you support the process that they just started. Um, The Biden administration announced yesterday that they were going to start the process to achieve a 20-year mining ban within the watershed of the Boundary Waters. This comment period is part of that process, and it's your opportunity to have your voice heard. So visit savetheboundarywaters.org slash action to make your comment and to have your voice heard today. Woo-hoo. Woo-hoo.